Well, it's my great joy to invite you to open your copy of God's perfect and precious word to Psalm 95 this morning. Psalm 95. I'll invite you to stand in reverence to the reading of the perfect words of our sovereign God. Psalm 95. O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into His presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to Him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. In His hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are His also. The sea is His, for He made it. And His hands form the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. For He is our God, and we are people of His pasture and the sheep of His hand. Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day at Massa in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my works. For forty years I loathed that generation and said, They are a people who go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways. Therefore I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Let's pray. Oh Lord, I thank you so much for this Lord's Day. I thank you for this psalm and this people. May all of that come together for the glory of your name, for the strengthening of your people, and so that the Lord Jesus will be made much of. We ask for that in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. You may be seated. You know, I want to start this sermon today by saying a word of thank you to Adam York. Most of you probably know Adam, but some of you may not. Adam is, um, I don't know what his formal title is, but he's a lot of things. But one of the things I like to kid people about is to say, um, my buildings and ground guy is better to, than your buildings and ground guy to other pastors. They're like, what do you mean? I, and I'm like, does yours have a PhD in Christian ethics? Mine does. But Adam is not a building and grounds guy. Adam is a Christian minister who uses his gifts in particular ways to serve and build up the body of Christ. Adam is involved in taking care of our facility and organizing ministries like you heard about. That's true. He also does a lot of our development of the media that you see. That's true. He's also a part of a lot of the ideas of what we're doing. That's true. And he's also the one who came up with this sermon series. We were in Exodus, and he sent it to us, and he said, I've been thinking about moving toward Thanksgiving and the Psalms, and what do you think about this? And I want to say to him today, I am very thankful for this series he put together because it has helped me in some incredibly practical ways. Psalm 93 through 100, the message is the Lord reigns 
It, it, it declares that again and again in this fourth book of the, the Psalters as we, as we divide it out here. But that's the message. The Lord reigns. And in reality, it's a great summary of all human history. The testimony at the end of the age when Christ returns and consummates His kingdom is going to be the Lord reigns. It's going to be evident in what God has done in Christ and how He has delivered a people. And then He will judge those who are apart from Him. And the testimony into all eternity will be the Lord reigns. So Psalm 93 verse 1 says, The Lord reigns, He is robed in majesty. 96.10 says, Say among the nations the Lord reigns which we do every Lord's Day here and plan to do in a unique way tonight. Psalm 97.1, the Lord reigns, let the earth rejoice. Psalm 99.1, the Lord reigns, let the peoples tremble. And this morning, Psalm 95, the very heart of the message of this psalm is in verse 3. For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all little g, so-called gods. You see, that's the message. The Lord reigns. I have had a crazy week. Not only did I have the balance issues starting last Saturday night, but I started getting a little bit better from that, and the Kentucky Baptist Convention was last week. I was supposed to be there, so I still wasn't feeling great on Monday, but that afternoon I headed that way, thought I can get to my hotel room, clear my head, get some rest, hopefully I'll be okay for Tuesday. But one of the things that happened was I was, I was trying to take a Saturday night shower in preparation for Sunday, and about halfway through that I had to get out. So I had like half my head shaved, and, and I hadn't had a shower since that time. At a ball cap. I'm going to get to that hotel and I'm going to have a nice shower. My hotel room didn't have a shower curtain. I asked for one three times and never got one. So I did not have that nice shower. But I did start feeling a bit better, and Tuesday after the meeting, I headed back here uh, from E Town and I was headed to pick up my youngest at tennis lessons at uh, Top Seed Tennis Club and my Older is also there, but her lessons go longer. And as soon as I got into the Lexington area, my car all of a sudden powered down to about 20 miles an hour max. Try merging into oncoming traffic, at flooring it at 20. It was a terrifying experience before it finally got me to top seat and died. Complete engine failure. I thought, well, Susu is here practicing too. She's later, called Judy. My car's died. I'm going to have to get it towed. I'll ride home with Susu and Annabeth, and I'll come home. So we're driving home, and I, I'm, I'm driving. And this is less than an hour later before my car had catastrophic engine failure. And I'm driving Susu's vehicle that we let her drive. And I get halfway on Nicholasville Road on the way home, and all of a sudden it goes vroom catastrophic transmission failure and a busted radiator on Nicholasville Road in drive-time traffic. And so I'm sitting there, and, 
And so I go as far as I could, and I get to the turn lane going into the Toyota dealership there. And I get there, and I'm like, uh, okay, when that light turns green, I'm going to run out. Susu, you jump in the driver's seat. I'm going to push us across over into there, and then we'll get over there, and we'll be fine. Well, I go out to push. The car won't move. I get back in, and Susu says, it won't go into gear because she's freaking out. And, and I get in. Well, it does go into gear. Okay, let's try it again. We try it again. Uh, it won't go into gear. I'm getting the car. I, are you putting your foot on the brake? Oh. So I said, sweet daughter, please put your foot on the brake. So finally, I'm pushing it across. The guy's leaving work at the Toyota place. And it's like, these people are out of their minds. So he gets out and helps us put it back there. He's a nice young man. He decides to take us home. And we're driving home. And I look at him and I say, Listen, if your car starts to break down, on, just get out and run. I mean, two catastrophic, complete car failures within an hour. And so I get home and go, what in the world is happening? But you know, the funny thing about it is that spending this time in these psalms of thanksgiving praise. Uh, I just kept thinking, the Lord reigns. The Lord reigns. And I was laughing about it after pushing the car across Nicholasville Road. I wasn't laughing about that. And so the girl said, how did you do it? Adrenaline is a crazy drug. But I just kept thinking, the Lord reigns. This is the car's breakdown. I, and I was thinking, I was almost, almost, Judy's going to be like really freaked out. And so we get home and she starts laughing. And I'm like, what? She said, I don't know why, but it's eh, no big deal. And we start talking about what God has done in our lives to this as well. Now, many of you are going through way, way more difficulty than that. The things that I mentioned are more inconveniences than real problems. But the point that I want us to think about today is this, that whether they are the inconveniences I spoke of, or some of you going through the worst times you could ever imagine, the answer to how to meet those challenges is always the same. And it's very, very practical. It's a, it's a nuts and bolts type of thing. It's building into our heart and mind where our default is to center our lives around the Lord who reigns. And so we think about Him in the midst of it all. And we know I may not want to be pushing that car across Nicholasville Road, or I may not want the diagnosis to be what it is, or I may not have wanted to uh, lose my job, but the Lord still reigns. And that means that there is purpose in all of this stuff in our lives. You see, when you realize there's purpose, even in the difficult stuff that you wouldn't have planned for yourself, then when you say in the midst of that, the Lord reigns, what are you doing? You're giving thanks. You see, it's that giving of thanks in those spots where somebody who doesn't 
know God in Christ, it doesn't make any sense to them. You know what we call that? We call that worship. There is a value, something that is ultimate above our circumstances, which means that giving thanks can't be stolen from us because no circumstance can put him away, can take him off of his throne, can't erase his work in the world. It's, it's worship. The word comes from the Old English word, word worship or worthness. It's about ascribing worthiness. It is to be worthy, ultimate, honored, revered. When you think about what is worship, and we think about what the Bible says about that, it's, it's, it's essentially this, and this is whether it's idol worship or worship of the true and living God. It's assigning to something, ascribing to something, ultimate value. And to do so in a way that it changes you. It affects your whole self, not just part of yourself. So whatever you ascribe as ultimate changes the course and direction of your decisions and ultimately your life, and you order what you think about, what you see, what you touch, and the things that you do in light of it. Let's put it this way. Whatever you worship as ultimate controls you. Now, somebody may be out there today and say, well, I mean, okay, but, but I, don't, I don't worship anything. Everybody worships something. Everybody. The Scripture clearly teaches us, and just simply observation of human nature teaches us. Everybody has something out there by which they look to and say, that's it, that'll bring contentment, happiness, and joy. I'm going to order my life for that. Everybody worships something. And that something controls you and me. Well, the psalmist says here in this glorious psalm, Psalm 95, the first five verses, he talks about, he calls us to give thanks to our Creator King by rising up. First of all, he calls us to rise up in joyful song. Look at verses 1 through 2. Oh, come. Let us sing to the Lord. Now, you'll notice us, us, us. This is a communal reality of worship. People heading to the temple on some occasion, and this is preparation and moving into the temple in the worship area at this time. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Or the, the word sing there is, is um, it's too soft. To, to raise a joyful shout to the Lord, to Yahweh, to the great I Am. Let us raise a shout to Him. And then it says this, let's make a joyful noise with thanksgiving. Now, the joyful noise isn't just a hope for people like me who sing really badly. Okay, you're singing, the best we can call it is noise, but do it anyway. It's okay. Raise it up to God. Now, the noise here is the, the fact that this word is so hard, the words in here are so hard to translate because all of them have a sense of shout, of exuberance. That's the joyful noise, the raising of a joyful shout. Now, 
There is a word here for me, for people like me. I'm going to sing anyway. I'm going to raise a joyful shout. All of you just sing really louder and drown me out, and it'll be great. You see, let's make a joyful noise. Let's raise a joyful shout to the rock of our salvation. Now, the refuge, the, the rock, the one that we hide in, this language is used throughout Scripture. But here, he's specifically pointing back to Exodus and the rock that provided water for the people, the complaining people in the wilderness. The rock that is your provider. The rock that saves you. The rock that nourishes you. But notice what he, he says in verse 2. Let us come into His presence, literally before His face, with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise. Let us raise a joyful shout to Him with songs of praise. Now, notice that little phrase, with thanksgiving. See, thanksgiving is humility expressed. When, when we are thankful, it is the downstream act of the fact that we are humble. When you are thankful to somebody, it's always because you're humbled by what they've done. Right? Pride does not produce thankfulness. Entitlement does not produce thankfulness. Humility produces thankfulness. And so the, the idea here is that worship cannot be severed from thanksgiving. You see this throughout the uses of thanksgiving in the New Testament. Sometimes there's a, a long list of problems, and then it says, be thankful. Why? Because it is the corrective. All of those difficulties are because you're centering yourself and you're acting entitled. So the way to get out of that is to be thankful. In other words, worship. Realize it's the Lord who reigns. The Lord is your hope, not yourself. Therefore, give thanks no matter what. That's the way this works. But, but this language here, Alan Ross, an Old Testament scholar, puts it this, uh, says this about the way these words are translated. The English translations are all, for the most part, too calm. All of the verbs call for loud, enthusiastic, joyful praise to be given to the Lord. The great English Baptist preacher Charles Haddon Spurgeon says, Our happy God should be worshipped by a happy people. He goes on to say, Some people are so impressed with the idea that they ought to be serious that they put on the aspect of misery and quite forget that joy is as much a characteristic of true worship as solemnity. Thanksgiving to God exuberance offered to God, the, 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 the action of faith being expressed to the rock of our salvation. Let me put it to you this way. In this section, it says that this singing is to be corporate. It is to be to the Lord. And by the way, you can sing songs using the names of God, but not be singing to the Lord. A lot of people like the aesthetic of singing. They like the, the not because of what it says about God, but they just like it. 
And so you can be singing and not to the Lord. It can be a very shallow, self-centered existence. But singing here is to be corporate. It is to be to the Lord. And third, is to be loud. That's what it says. All these words are loud words. They're active words. They're aggressive words. It is to be loud. That's the reason he keeps using a version of shout. Now, I go speak in churches all over, and one of the signs of a health of congregations is how do the people sing? Is, is it really just about what's going on up here and everybody out there is just passively sort of spectating? Or is it the people there cannot wait to lift their voice to talk about the rock of their salvation? Are they being held at gunpoint to sing, it seems like? Or can they not wait to sing? You see, corporate, to the Lord, loud, expressive, nothing passive here. And here's the next one, uninhibited. That's what it's calling us for here. You aren't being expressive in this way if you are constantly worried about how people perceive you. Let me tell you a time when my family was uninhibited recently. The, we follow the Atlanta Braves with everything that we have. My kids have never seen the Atlanta Braves in the World Series. They did this year. And so there we are when they're finally clinching it. And what you saw was uninhibited delight. We, uh, Lydia couldn't be with us, so we had her on FaceTime and I, I didn't even realize it, but I picked up Anna Beth, and I'm just running around the house with her. And you say, well, I don't care what you think about it. Right? I, I, that's a, the last thought in my mind. In fact, I opened my front door, and I just yelled, the Braves are World Series champions. Judy got a little inhibited at that point. <laughs> Judy was jumping up and down. If... You know, that's not Judy's natural thing. But, but the moment called for it. That's what it's calling for here in a much more serious way. There's a way in which that comparison's not all that great. Because there is an undergirding weight of eternity hanging on our worship of God. But get this. That doesn't make it less joyful. It should make it more because it means more. And finally, verse 6, what we've seen, thankful. So evaluate our singing, corporate to the Lord, loud, expressive, uninhibited, and thankful. And then he goes on to give the reason why. Look at that little word, for. Here's the reason why in verse 3. For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. In His hand are the depths of the earth, the heights of the mountains are His also. The sea is His, for He made it, and His hands are formed by His hands formed the dry land. See all of that language there. Just say from the tops, from the peaks to the to the valleys, and to all that you see. He is the one who made this. He is above it all. He is a great God and a great King. But notice that little insertion there: above all gods. You know why that insertion is there? 
because everybody worships, worships something. And by the way, there were people who worshiped the sea, people who worshiped the mountains, people who worshiped the phenomena all around them. He is above all that. But there are also people who worship things they make with their own hands or things that they value. And whatever we live for and worship controls us. Guess what? If you worship power, you pursue power. If you worship money, then you pursue money. If you worship approval, then you pursue approval. So whatever it is. I've got good news for you. If you worship the true and living God, God in Christ, you know what you pursue? Him, which means you pursue humility and you pursue thankfulness and you pursue joy. Do you, do you see that? If you live your life, if you order your life to, to pursue power, when you get it, it will not satisfy you and it will have an accro a corrosive effect in your life. It'll distort you and destroy you the same with money, the same with approval. Nobody ever who pursues approval, I, I just have to have it, that's what I really need, gets approval and says, okay, that's it, my quote is full, done. Whatever it is other than the Lord God Almighty means that it is going to harm you and destroy you rather than build you up. But if it's the true and living God, it's the only way for you to have a pursuit that transforms you for the good. I don't know if you ever watched any of those TV shows where they bring the antiques in, and you know, the guy's hoping he's got this plate and he's hoping it's, he's going to hit it rich or something. The guy says, well, you know, it's worth 25 cents. But, but, but sometimes somebody brings something in and they don't think it's any big deal. And you know what the guy does? He, he looks at it and examines it. He says, oh, look, it has this particular mark. And, and that person before didn't even think that mark was a big deal. But now they see this mark means it's from this period in this place. And the guy says, you know, how much did you pay for this? Well, $5. And the guy says, well, you know, this is worth $10,000. And you know what the person does? Okay, interesting. They never do. They go, what? Now they never look at that plate again the same way. Now there are aspects on that plate that they see, and they go, wow. You see, this is what worship calls us to in a never-ending way. We are to see God, who He is, and what He's done, and we never understand that enough. We're always thinking about that, and so we're always in the sense of, wow, this is better than I could have ever imagined. Hey, come here, look at this with me. We rise up, but we also bow down. Look at verses 6 to the first part of verse 7. Give thanks to our shepherd king by bowing down. Verse 6. Oh, come. This is a different word used for come that was used in verse 1 and 2. It's actually a word that's more intimate. Come in. Oh, come in. Let us worship and bow down and let us kneel before the Lord, before Yahweh, I, the great I Am, our Maker, for He is our God. This is the reason. And we are the, sheep, we are the people of His pasture, or the sheep of His pasture, and the sheep of His hand. 
Now notice the language here. Oh, come, oh, come in. Let us worship, bow down, and kneel. The, the idea is a picture here of, of, of going low and then going lower and then going lower than that. That's a picture of worship, the humility taking a position of submission and an acknowledgement that all of this is about you, O oh God. Let me put it to you this way. This ensures that all of the shouting you're raising is not really about you. You can raise a shout and have it be about you. But this is the reminder that the reason that you are here to worship is because of what He has done. He is Lord. He says it in this verse. He is our maker. He is the creator king. It says in this section, He is our shepherd king. It's about Him. It's about His leading us. The language here is covenant language. Throughout the Old Testament, here's the promise. I will be your God and you will be my people. We see that come to reality in Christ as we're adopted in the family of God. But he's saying here, oh, come in. Yes, this is worth shouting about, but it's only because of what God has done for you, not what you do for Him. And it makes sure that the shouting is not just simply performative. You could not shout because you're worried about what others think, or you can shout because you want others to see you shout. Religious performance is empty. It doesn't lead anywhere. But the real thing does cause you to stand up and raise a joyful shout. And the real thing does cause you to bow down because He is Lord. You see, the God who made the sea in verse 5 is our maker in verse 6. In His hands are the depths of the earth, verse 4. His people are the sheep of His hands, verse 7. The maker of the earth has made a people a new creation of people, a people He's redeemed out of this fallen world. Psalm 48, 14, This is our God, our God forever and ever. And then it says, He will shepherd us forever. See, things that are the most important bring out a rising up exuberance but they also bring out a bowing-down sense of the weight of their importance. Both of these things are vital, and both are expressions of giving thanks. You see, a God who is all-powerful but indifferent brings us no hope. And a God who is caring but not all-powerful brings us no hope. But if there's a God who is all-powerful and by His grace is loving, caring, and is committed to shepherding a people to the very end, there is hope now and forever. And there is that God. And our Lord reigns. And you can know Him through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You see this. This changes everything. See, a thankful people rise up and bow down, but they also listen well. 
They listen to their creator, shepherd, king. And that's the, the end of verse 7 down through verse 11. It's really important. The, it, it seems kind of odd because everything is uplifting and exuberant. And now we get to the end, and this is, this is ominous. It's a warning, and it's a warning that, that thumps in there that you can't ignore because the language of it is serious. So you get some you know, liberal commentators of the Bible, and they say, well, this must not be original. And somebody, Stop it. Everything that matters most, the loving thing to do is to give the appropriate warnings. I don't do premarital counseling with couples and say, yeah, it'll just work out. Just really happy for you. Let's just smile and let's, no, say, listen, you better be careful. There's some ways in which to conduct yourself. There, there's, this is going to be hard. Why? Those warnings are a demonstration of love, and there's a warning here. Look at it. Today, if you hear His voice, this is so glorious, this, this today, if you hear His voice. In fact, the way the Bible does this is no matter what it, Scripture it's pointing to, when it says today, if you hear His voice, or whether it's the recording of God speaking in that instance, it is always today. Why? Because when God speaks, you have the responsibility to respond. It is today. Today, if you hear His voice. It's for you today. We have the responsibility to respond. This is urgent. It's an appeal here. God's voice is always a call for us today. Today, if you hear His voice, notice that we give thanks to our King who speaks. And we do it by listening well, and He is under no obligation to speak, and yet He does. And when He speaks, we are to lean in. We live by, the Bible says, His words. We don't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. God is speaking in this instance now to Israel at a point after the Exodus period, but He calls them to remember what was going on now when a warning was issued about hearing His voice. This section is... Uh, the basis of a sermon in Hebrews 3 and 4, which is a sermon as a whole, but this is one section of the sermon. And in Hebrews 3 and 4, it says, Today to us, appealing to this psalm and the previous Exodus uh, chapter 17. You see, there's a lineage there. This is for all of us. Today, if you hear His voice. And by the way, how did... Um, the writer of the psalm know that God is a great God and a great King, that He was Creator. How did He know what He... Because He had the Scripture. He's pointing here. Hear His voice. We live by the voice of God, God's self-revelation. You know, it's really popular today. Eh? Well, you know, I don't, I don't want that part of faith. I'll take this part of Christianity and this part of this. And you end up sort of having this cauldron that you've built of your own Faith, and guess what you've done when you've done that? You've separated yourself from everybody and isolated yourself and put yourself in a hopeless situation. Because if you make up a faith for yourself, you're the only one who has that faith. If you believe the revealed words of God, if you believe, if you have faith in God in Christ, I can go anywhere in the world and communicate with another believer 
and we have a bond that ties us together, not just to one another, not just the other Christians around the world, but all of the believers who have ever lived. Puts me in community in a way that nothing else can. It saves me from isolation. People say, oh, you have to believe the Bible? That seems so, so suffocating. No, it's the liberation. And that's his point here. I'm not going to spend long on this. Just, just notice this. Psalm 95, beginning in the second part of verse 7. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah. That's Exodus 17. The people were complaining. Moses, did you just bring us out here to kill us? It was better off in Egypt. And that's when God provides the rock with the water comes out of. Meribah literally means quarreling and strife. As on the day at Massa, which means testing and tempting. In the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work, they saw the Red Sea part, for heaven's sake. They crossed through the waters. Yeah, they'd seen him work. Verse 10, for 40 years I loathed that generation and I said, they are a people who go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways. Therefore, I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. And the first generation didn't enter God's rest. They died in the wilderness wandering. And the second generation, led by Joshua, ended up experiencing the promised land, the rest that they were being pointed to. Well, if it was fulfilled by Joshua leading the people to the promised land, why is he talking about it again? Because that fulfillment was pointing to something beyond it even. And this is pointing to something beyond it even. That's the point of Hebrews 3 and 4 in the sermon. By the way, Hebrews 1 starts out, God spoke in the past in a variety of ways, but in these last days He's spoken to us in His Son. So let's think about, he says, that event in Exodus 17 talked about in Psalm 95 in light of the fact that now we have the full revelation of God in Christ. Listen to these words in Hebrews 4, beginning in verse 6. Since, therefore, it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. Stop. Did they hear the good news? Yes, they rejected it. That's the issue at hand. Again, he appoints a certain day today, saying that through David so long afterward, in the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. He said it again to David. Verse 8, For if Joshua had given them rest, meaning ultimate rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. A rest from works, meaning works as a sense of ultimate, trusting in what I can do, what I can offer God. There is rest from that in Christ. He says, let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. And then guess what he talks about? He talks about rest, and so he talks about the Word of God. For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of soul and spirit and joints and marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from its sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of Him to whom we must give an account. So all people are exposed before God. 
and those who are in Christ are fully known, fully exposed, and yet because of Christ, fully loved. And those who are apart from Christ who say, I don't need Christ, are also fully known. See, there's nobody in either group who says, I'm just better than everybody else. That's why I'm okay. To be fully known and fully loved, that is what God calls us to in Christ. You see, we rest from our works as an ultimate, and therefore that causes us to worship. We are saved not by what we do, but what He has done, His works. We praise Him. So we listen to God's Word, and it brings in our life rest when we will hear it, meaning hear it and obey it. Just like my mama, if she told me to do something and I didn't do it, she said, you must not have heard me, right? To, to hear it, if we hear it, God's Word brings rest when we embrace it in our lives. That creates a people who rise up and raise a joyful shout. And a people who know that it is a rest that only God could provide it, therefore they bow down to declare that what we are shouting about is not ourselves, but it's Him. And it's what He has done for us alone, and it matters for all eternity. And by the way, every time we gather for worship, all three of those elements ought to be a reality. That there are people who can't wait to raise a shout. There are people who kneel whether they do it physically or in their hearts because this is all about what he has done and guess what we only know any of this because god has spoken so we hang on his words which helps us to better raise a joyful shout which brings us down to our knees even more and then we hear his words again we know him better we're able to joyfully shout better therefore we're more humbled in his sight and we grow and we're strengthened in this reality of the gospel and we are not in a cycle that leads to destruction but in a cycle that a cycle that ultimately leads to life that section in hebrews 4 Verses 14 and 16 says this. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. He says, draw near. Shout His praises. Bow before Him because He is our shepherd to the very end. And listen and hang on His every word. That is what a thankful life looks like. And that's why the other side of humility is thanksgiving. And that's the only place real thanksgiving is ever found. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for the opportunity to preach today. I missed it so much last week. And Lord, I thank you for this portion of your word. It is so transformative. We will just hang on to the truth of it. We'll walk it out in our lives. And Lord, I pray for everyone here. Some never put their faith in Christ. They need the beginning point, bowing before you, saying, oh, I am a sinner who needs salvation, and I believe that it is only available in Jesus the Christ, who was crucified, dead, buried, but who is raised from the dead and returning again. 
Oh, Lord, I pray that this would be the salvation day of many. And all of us, Lord, help us to keep on reorienting our lives to the reality of you, the rock of our salvation. May we shout, may we bow, and may we keep on hearing. In Christ's name we pray, amen.